there's a need for more evidence-based practice and more uh, research to describe our work as nurses. We need nurses at the point of care to engage with us in asking the important questions. This is Kathy Driscoll, Chief Nursing Officer at Humana. Welcome to The Voice of Humana Nurses, a podcast about clinicians committed to improving lives. Join me, other nurses from Humana, and special guests as we discuss topics nurses care about. Hi, this is Kathy Driscoll, Chief Nursing Officer at Humana, and I'd like to welcome you to our Humana and American Nurses Association-sponsored webinar on developing evidence-based practice and research skills. I have the pleasure today of introducing Dr. Joyce Fitzpatrick. Dr. Fitzpatrick is the inaugural director of the Marion K. Shaughnessy Nurse Leadership Academy and Elizabeth Brooks Ford Professor of Nursing at the Francis Payne Bolton School of Nursing, Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio, where she was dean from 1982 through 1997. She founded and led the school's World Health Organization Collaborating Center for Nursing. She's provided consultation on nursing education and research throughout the world, including universities and health ministries in Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe, Latin America, and the Middle East. Dr. Fitzpatrick is widely published in nursing and healthcare literature with more than 400 publications, including more than 80 books. She's a legend in nursing research. She's served as the co-editor of the Annual Review of Nursing Research Series, Volumes 1 through 26. She's editor of the classic Encyclopedia of Nursing Research, which is now in its fourth edition, and the co-editor of the Encyclopedia of Nursing Education. Currently, she edits the journals Applied Nursing Research and Archives in Psychiatric Nursing. From 2010 through 2015, Dr. Fitzpatrick served as chair of the Board of Trustees for the American Nurses Foundation, the philanthropic arm of the American Nurses Association. She currently serves as vice chair. Dr. Fitzpatrick has received numerous honors and awards. Most recently, in 2019, she was awarded the International Council of Nurses and Florence Nightingale Foundation International Achievement Award recognizing her contribution to advancing international nursing education through research, innovative conceptual models, and theory development. In 2016, she was named a living legend by the American Academy of Nursing. And in 2018, she received the prestigious ANA Jesse M. Scott Award that recognizes leadership in demonstrating the interdependence between nursing education, practice, and research. Her list of awards and recognition goes on and on. We're so fortunate to have Dr. Fitzpatrick with us today to talk about developing evidence-based practice and research skills. Wow, Dr. Fitzpatrick, that's an impressive background. What prompted your interest in nursing research? Well, I've been interested in nursing research for most of my career. And thank you very much, Dr. Driscoll, for that very, very effusive introduction. And I was a curious nurse from the beginning and started to ask about clinical questions, particularly in relation to 
the emotional health of patients who were experiencing chronic illnesses. And that led to other um, interests that I had, you know, other curiosities about the care that we were providing to patients and families. And one thing led to another and my research career then started. Dr. Fitzpatrick, what do you think is the most important topic we need more research around in nursing today? And why would you say that? Well, I think what we need to study are the outcomes of our interventions for patients and families. You know, as nurses in clinical practice, we implement a lot of uh, different activities. We, we have lots of things that we do with patients and families, lots of therapeutic communication, but we're often so busy that we don't take the time to evaluate those and really conduct uh, systematic research to uh, determine the best interventions with each uh, individual type of patient with, a, you know, with any particular group of patient with um, illnesses. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, great background, and I really look forward to hearing more from you about evidence-based practice and research skills and how to best develop them. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm pleased to present this to, to all of you, and it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because there's so much more we can do. And what I've done is, is frame this for clinical nurses who are providing direct care because we need nurses at the point of care to engage with us in asking the important questions. And so I will go through the presentation of developing evidence-based practice and research skills, which is an overview. And of course, we can discuss some of the content. And the objectives of this presentation are, first of all, to describe these two processes, one, evidence-based practice, and secondly, research, the processes which overlap. But I want to describe those from the identification of the problem to the dissemination of findings, and then differentiate between EBP, research, and quality improvement, because we hear those words a lot in our clinical environment. And I want to identify some resources to support nurses in evidence-based practice and research. As, as we all know from the Future of Nursing report, which was um, published in 2010, there's a need for more evidence-based practice and more uh, research to describe our work as nurses. And nurses in clinical practice um, indicated that research is not implemented uh, systematically in their hospitals. And part of that is because they're very busy. And secondly, we know that we have not provided the best avenues for dissemination of research. So there's a lot of activity in the nursing community to configure ways to make that research available at the point of care to the clinicians at the bedside. And I'll talk a little bit about that. 
We do know that there have been key topics identified, particularly among the nurses at Humana. Uh, coordination of care, a major issue for all of us in care delivery. Patient-centered medical homes, chronic condition management, leadership development, and social determinants of health. So all of these that you've identified are important clinical topics for nurses everywhere providing care to patients and families. And whatever we can do together to advance our knowledge about these topics will be advantageous to our patients. To say a bit about, uh, as I mentioned, one of our objectives is to differentiate research, evidence-based practice, and quality improvement. Those are the three modalities that are used to guide our practice to bring knowledge to the bedside. And research is, is inquiry-driven, evidence-based practice is evidence-driven, and quality improvement is data-driven. Now, that may sound like there's a lot of overlap there, and really, it's best to think about these three processes as a continuum. To distinguish research and evidence-based practice, um, research is based solely on what's in the literature, whereas evidence-based practice also takes into account the clinical expertise of the nurse and the patient preferences. So I think as I uh, present some more detail, this will become even clearer. The goals of evidence-based practice research and quality improvement are similar in that we are trying to generate knowledge and develop best practice. And we also use standardized methods in all three of these processes. The differences are in the methods that are used. So in evidence-based practice, we'll talk about the PICO method that's used. In research, we'll talk about the research methodology. And often there is great confusion about these three processes, not just among confusion among not just clinicians, but also confusion among those in the research community. So one thing in terms of helping to advance knowledge in nursing practice, to generate the best questions, we should think about the daily work that you do, or you should think about the daily work that you do, and jot down questions that come to you as you deliver clinical care to your patient. So when you have a question, when you don't know exactly what the evidence is, you should have a method for keeping track of your clinical questions, and then the next step would be to go to the literature. So when you think about the clinical questions, what questions come to your mind? One might be care coordination. Another might be um, the best approach for pressure ulcers. Another might be how to help a, a young adolescent with feelings of hopelessness. 
So there are a number of clinical questions that we can ask, and we need to keep track of our own clinical questions so that we can move uh, forward. I've listed here a number of clinical examples. These would be familiar to you, end-of-life expectations, mental health issues such as depression, how to, how to help our elderly age in place, how to make sure we have the best care coordination for the elderly, differences in cultural understandings of various illnesses and differences in cultural uh, understandings of pregnancy, childbirth, and child rearing are just some examples. Many, many examples from our clinical practice uh, can be identified. So then to the actual definitions of evidence-based practice. You saw this earlier on the diagram slide. Evidence-based practice is a problem-solving approach to clinical practice that uses the best evidence from research, from patient values and preferences, and from the nurse's clinical expertise in making decisions about a patient's care. So there are three sources of evidence, the problem-solving approach, which we will describe, the patient values and preferences, and the nurse's clinical expertise. In research, what we use is the evidence in the literature. So that's an important distinction. In research, our goal is to develop, refine, and explain knowledge, whereas in evidence-based practice, our goal is to apply knowledge to our clinical practice. So a bit of a different goal there in the two processes. So here's a diagram of the evidence-based practice process. First, identifying the problem. Reviewing and appraising the evidence. And remember here that the evidence for evidence-based practice includes knowledge from the literature, from research, but also clinical expertise of the nurse and the patient's values and preferences. If there is enough evidence to change practice, then we change our practice and evaluate that practice change. If there is not enough evidence, then we conduct the research. So the branch, uh, the initial branch of identifying the problem is similar as is the branch of reviewing and appraising the evidence but from there, we branch off into either conducting research through the research process or changing practice because there is enough evidence to change practice. We use a PICO format for evidence-based practice, and this is very consistently used where we identify the population, the intervention, a comparison group, and an outcome. So the next slide will show you an example of a PICO question that will be familiar to you in your clinical practice. 
So the population here is discharged adult inpatients with congestive heart failure. The intervention is a discharge phone call. And the comparison is no discharge phone call. And the outcome that we're interested in, one outcome that we're interested in, is the patient experience of the care that they receive. Now, obviously, there are many other clinical outcomes that we're interested in, and we would have separate PICO questions for each of the outcomes that we're interested in. So the PICO question needs to be very specific, identifying a population, in this case, adult inpatients. If we change the PICO question, question to children who are inpatients, then that would be a different, uh, a totally different use of the evidence that's available because we would go to the literature and find the evidence for children uh, rather than adults. So in appraising the evidence, we evaluate the strength of the evidence. And this chart is very uh, familiar to uh, all of us in using the EBP and the research model. So we categorize the evidence according to the level of the evidence, meaning that level one evidence is more meaningful, it is more relevant to application to both evidence-based practice as well as to research. So we always start by looking at the literature and determining if there is any systematic reviews or meta-analyses of our particular topic. So in the question about um, discharge of adult um, patients with congestive heart failure, we would go to the literature and we would see if there's any systematic review of all the research that's been done on this topic or a meta-analysis. And this is where your resources, um, particularly resources of expert researchers and or expert librarians will help you because they can help you to search the literature in the kind of way that gives you the best answers to the strength of the evidence. The second level is randomized controlled trials. And you can go down this pyramid and determine how much evidence you have. If you have enough evidence, then you can change practice. If there is not enough evidence, that's when you conduct research. So to move on to the purpose of research, as I've already mentioned, is to generate new knowledge as distinguished from applying knowledge that already exists. So we want to find out new things about the patients that we care for. And we want to test theoretical propositions to guide re future research and practice. So research should be initiated based on a critical review of the evidence, an 
much we need to know before we change our practice. So it's really important in, uh, in clinical practice that we work as teams because clinical care is very complex. Not no any one person can have the answers to all of the questions. So if we can create research teams between clinicians and researchers, that is the best way to move forward, to use all the resources available. And some organizations have dedicated research staff as well as dedicated evidence-based practice staff. If research is needed, the most important part of the research is the question itself. Asking a good question is critical to clinical research. And the good question would be framed such as, will doing what with whom lead to the desired outcome? Back to our example, we talked about adult inpatients with congestive heart failure. That's the whom. And the doing what is doing a discharge phone call and the desired outcome was an enhanced patient experience. And what we know that it is, if we enhance the nurse-clinician, the, the nurse-clinician relationship with the patient, it will lead to better patient outcome. To develop a strong research question, it's important to ask yourself if you know the literature and what areas need further exploration. Will your study fill a gap? Has a, enough research already been done on this topic? Has this study been done before? And will your study have a significant impact on the field? So ask yourself, why is this research important? What have other people done? What have they found? And based on this information, you formulate your specific research question that then leads to a hypotheses and specific aims for your study. So this is a detail about the research process in particular and the methodology that you use in identifying the research question. What we know is that the more specific your research question, the better you're able to answer it. So you want to do the so what test on your research question, to think about the potential impact of the research you're proposing. What's the benefit of answering your research question? Who will it help? You want to make sure that your research focus is narrow. Uh, for example, if you think about the question, what can be done to prevent substance abuse, we know that that's too large a question to answer with one research project. It would take several projects in order to answer that question. So you can take one part of that question and ask a more focused question such as, what is the relationship between specific early childhood experience and subsequent substance abuse and behavior? 
So we, there are multiple questions we can ask about clinical practice related to preventing substance abuse. We could ask about um, individuals who have a chronic illness or who have chronic pain. And we, we could identify interventions that we can use to prevent substance abuse. So those are just some examples. Another important point in the research process is that the literature should determine the methodology that we use. Sometimes you hear individuals say, oh, I want to do a qualitative study or I want to do a quantitative study. But first of all, we must look at the literature in determining what the methodology is. If it's a new area of investigation, it may warrant exploratory research. If we know nothing about the topic, we may first need to do a qualitative study to frame what we do, what we need to know in the future. The nature of the research question also influences the methodology chosen. If you're interested, for example, in patient experiences of their nursing care, this may lead you to qualitative interviews, especially if there's no measure of the particular dimension of interest. So one of the things that uh, one of the projects, for example, that we were engaged in was asking patients about the nursing care that they experience and asking nurses about the same behaviors that they provided to patients to see, in fact, if there were, was consistency in the understanding of the care provided. So that's an important question for us to know. Do our patients understand the educational process that we're implementing? So here are some pitfalls for um, research questions. One pitfall is that if we engage in research, that's not really very significant to our field. You know, we have limited resources, so we want to do research on topics that are most critical to our field. Obviously, if the scientific rationale is not valid, then that presents a problem to the research method. And as I've already mentioned, we can be too diffused or unfocused in our research questions, and we can not um, do a thorough review of the literature. So the steps of the research process to identify a good question, to then appraise the evidence before, take, before implementing a research project are critical. So another question that often comes up is once you do the study, whether it's an evidence-based practice project or a research project, what next? Why should you publish or present your work when you all have enough to do? Everybody's very busy. But it's important for us to share our expertise, to disseminate our clinical knowledge and our research findings, to advance the discipline, and to increase our professional and personal satisfaction. So, 
without the dissemination, no one really knows about the important work that you've done. And we want to do our best to advance nursing across our clinical environments to share our expertise with nurses everywhere. So these are tips about how to enhance your scholarship, how to become a published author. So there are phases that we describe about writing for publication. And it's important to think about the publication process as involving these three phases before you actually embark on the writing. The first phase is that of planning. It's important to determine who your audience is. What we know is that audiences can be divided. There are nurse educators who read certain types of journals. Nurse clinicians often uh, read clinical journals. And nurse researchers often read research journals first. So it's important to determine the desired audience, to develop an outline, and then to select potential journals and review the journal focus, the guidelines, prior issues, and if uncertain, to query the journal editor or editorial board members. In the writing phase, it's important to finalize the outline, to write the first draft, to review the draft with a colleague, and to have some experts review your work. And generally, we recommend that you have two types of experts review your work. One who knows your content area, who can help you decide whether you have addressed the topic in depth, and another expert who knows nothing about your content area but can tell you if you present your work in a logical manner. And then, of course, you want to review your paper based on the feedback that you receive. The third phase is that of actually publishing your work. And Journal editors highly recommend that you use an anti-plagiarism program before you submit your work to a journal. And many of you are familiar with these programs from being in school because you, as students, you have been taught to use an anti-plagiarism program. But sometimes when we're writing, we forget where we got the information. And sometimes then it, it is not properly cited. If you turn your work into one of these programs, it will quickly tell you where there is overlap. Another ethical uh, rule in publishing is that you sh should submit to only one journal. And most journals will ask you to indicate that you have not submitted your work to another journal. 
It's also important to monitor the time frame from when you submitted your manuscript to when you get a response, to respond to the review comments and revise and resubmit your work as indicated by the reviewers, by the experts in the field. And then of course, once you get your acceptance letter, you will want to celebrate your success. Now, the good news is that there is a resource available to you which helps you to select a journal. It's an online publication called Nurse, Author, and Editor, and it's on the next slide. The reference to that publication is on the next slide. It's an international publication dedicated to nurse authors or would-be nurse authors, editors, and reviewers. There is a great deal of information available to you on the website. There's advice about writing quality manuscripts. There's advice about avoiding rejection, uh, finding publishing opportunities, and editing and reviewing. And the best part of the resource is the Nursing Journals Directory, which lists all of the nursing journals that you can submit your manuscript to. It has a resource page with a wide range of topics and gives you information about how to access each of the journals on the directory. So it's a wonderful resource to those of you who want to publish your work. And I find myself frequently accessing nurse, author, and editor to get information about journals where I might want to publish. So I would highly recommend that you use that in searching for a place to disseminate your work. If you're, this is your first research publication or your first evidence-based practice publication, it's helpful to um, seek assistance in the publishing process and there are a lot of resources available to you to help you to publish. There are webinars that, that you can access as well as um, presentations at many major conferences about how to publish. So I've made a list of some of the important references that you can access that will help you to get to the point of being uh, not only a researcher and an expert practitioner through using evidence-based practice, but also to get you to the point of being a published author. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Fitzpatrick. Um, that was a really comprehensive overview, and I think will provide a lot of food for thought um, for our nurses. Um, I think you made a really great point that research and the formulation of evidence-based practice questions really needs to start with nurses who are at the point of care. Sometimes we think that we're just don't have enough experience, but the, you know, kind of you emphasizing that ideas and questions actually come from practice and you should take the time in your daily work to just think about that, I thought was really powerful and, and good advice. Um, for all, all of our nurses out there. 
Well, I think uh, you're absolutely right. The best questions uh, come from those nurses who are uh, taking care of patients at the point of clinical care. And as researchers, we need to help them to answer the important clinical questions. We need to create teams of clinicians and researchers working together. There's just so much power in teamwork. Power in teamwork throughout nursing, right? In clinical practice, right. and the same holds true for research here. Excellent point. And I love the idea of teamwork because if you're a more novice researcher, you might have the clinical expertise and the insight into these questions, but you might need some support in process or um, in the, you know, in the consistent, um, credible language uh, that's used. So I, I think it's um, a great way that teams can be formed with lots of different areas of expertise to really produce some powerful research and some powerful contribution to nursing. I would totally agree. And obviously, this presentation was an overview of lots of content. There's so much more we all can learn together. And we can, we can advance our professional practice as well as our scientific knowledge by working together. And there, there, is, there is just a real depth of information uh, that can come from clinicians. And um, if they can ask the good questions and then team up with researchers, who can put the structure around the inquiry, then we will together make, make a huge difference in our care. So well said. And I want to thank you um, for what I know will motivate a lot of our nurses to take the next steps and some new teams to form. So I, I really thank you for your insight and for your overview today. I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode. I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play by searching the words, The Voice of Humana Nurses. And we'd love to hear from you as well. So send us an email at chiefnursingofficer at humana.com and give us your comments and your suggestions about topics or people you want to hear about or hear from. So until the next time, thank you and be well. <laughs>